Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Oh, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had Hello, everyone. Thanks, Dr. Jacks. I'm Tom Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures up 1075. NASDAQ Futures up 74. Dow Futures up 19. This is after yesterday not having a, a, a good day at all. Matter of fact, uh, yesterday we were... The Dow was down 12, but the S&P was down 19, and NASDAQ was down 156. That's 1.2%. So NASDAQ had a big backup in Tesla and NVIDIA and some of the stuff that was uh, running way up. Matter of fact, Microsoft saw almost like 20 bucks from a tie like a week or so ago. Uh, so those are real numbers. Um, Matty, we gotta, we got to talk sports. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on. Did you, did you happen to... Well, boy, did you, you watch the NBA draft. Uh, it was on in the background. I didn't. We I played softball that night. Um, and then, uh, so we went to the bar afterward, and I think they were at, like, the maybe the 10th pick by then. So I, it was on in the background after that. So I, d- I didn't really watch it very closely. You didn't see the outfits? I saw some of the outfits. Obviously, Grady Dick, the, uh, the kid out of Kansas, uh, stole the show in a lot of people's eyes with the, uh, the sparkly ruby red uh, suit. <laughs> that, was, that was a white guy, right? Yeah. God. And he had, like... Uh, '80s sunglasses on, and he's got the big bushy blonde hair. Yeah. Um, that uh, that was that was a look. The uh, I uh, the I was I was surprised when I looked at it afterward. Well, I guess I'm not surprised anymore that the, that the guy who brought the gun to the murder and maybe got let off only because he was an Alabama ball player um, got drafted number two. Yeah. Um, is that shades of Ray Lewis or what? I mean, I don't know. It's okay. In Alabama, it's okay. As long as you're playing. Give a guy a gun, and everyone has one, and it's not a big deal. The uh, But five of the top seven were uh, the, uh, what do they call it, overtime elite? Um, is, is that yeah. like an AAU equivalent organization, yeah, they, I believe? Uh, Kevin's been doing a lot of work on it, so maybe we'll talk some tomorrow, but it's kind of fascinating. They... they uh, uh, the, the, they recruit players that necessarily don't want to go to college, so they're actually competing against the colleges, maybe for the one-and-done guys. It's probably why, you know, the Kentuckys aren't as good as they were. Because a lot of these guys are just going there. And uh, I guess they, you can get in age 16 to 21, there's people there, and they they play amongst themselves in Atlanta or some sort of living facilities, and uh, they pay these guys, I think, uh, um, you know, as much as hundred grand a year. Um uh, and they uh, have some high school for them. They have they have classes now. Whether they're accredited in count, I imagine they do. And, uh, it says that players can choose a scholarship option and maintain college eligibility if they would like. That's what he said. They they make uh, they let's see, 
They reserve $100,000 tuition money for those who don't play professional basketball. Wow, yeah. Well, you, but I, I don't know if you can... Can you play there for three years and go to college and start as a freshman and play there too? Evidently. I don't know why you wouldn't, I suppose. But yeah. I mean, you're, you're getting paid, aren't you a pro? I mean, it depends on how you look at it. I don't I don't think you are a pro anymore if you're getting paid. Not with the new NIL rules. That's probably why this was able to start after that ruling. Um, well, I mean, if you're getting flat out paid to play and not for your name, not for your name image and like this, that would... In my words, that's a professional, but it, I guess it doesn't matter. I I'm mean, sure they've. I'm sure they've got around that. I'm, I'm, Kevin would know more about this. Yeah, but it's a. Uh, it's pretty interesting that that many people are there. I mean, five out of seven is a lot. It's the only, well, I mean, if you're if you're if you're you know a projected first round NBA you know lottery pick, as obviously five of the top seven would be, uh, and you have an opportunity to make a hundred thousand dollars a year when you're sixteen. <laughs> and you know, maybe you come from a family that yeah. I don't, I don't know how many of them needs are the sixteen. Right? Well, I mean, I'm just saying. If it says it's it's for for players between the ages of sixteen and twenty, um, and you know, you can still maintain your college eligibility. You're playing, in, I assume, in, in in some of the best tournaments uh, that are out there. Well, they it play all, like they play the deal. same spot. It appears. Yeah, but I'm sure they travel too. Yeah, I wonder how many. You know, how long you're there? Is it twelve months or nine months or? Maybe there's a lot of. It could be five years. Well, I'm talking about per year. I mean, what do you do with somebody 12 months? I mean, some kids are 16. I bet you're not even junior equivalent in college, in high school, all the way up to college. It's it's a kind of an array of teaching. Yeah. But Kevin says they pretty much only go for the four or five star guys. Yeah, I read uh, this here. It says uh, in January 2022, Overtime Elite announced a partnership with Meta, okay, that's not what I wonder. Here it is. In April 2022, they announced the signing of Nasir Cunningham, the number one basketball prospect in ESPN's class of 2024. So, out of high school, so he graduated um, allegedly. No, he hasn't graduated. Class of 2024. In the high school class of yes. 2024. Yeah, Whoa. so he's still in high school, and he he he's the number one prospect in in the country, um, high school prospect, and uh, he became the first overtime elite player to forego being paid a salary preserving college basketball eligibility after graduating from high school. So, I was right, you got you can't get paid. So, you can't get paid if you want to maintain your college eligibility apparently. Um so who, who gives him dough? His parents? He's got what if he wants a pizza? So, I guess uh yeah, he's a regular <laughs> high school kid. He goes to his parents if he wants a pizza. He's cuz he's a high school kid. <laughs> Is he he's not from Atlanta, I assume. Um I'd have to look where he's from, I'm not sure. Uh, not too far off from the Rick Tellender model in his book how many years ago, like 30 years ago where he, he says you're going to end up having uh, colleges that are going to sponsor teams and you're not, and the kids aren't you know, they're going to be different didn't uh, <clears throat> Michigan or somebody get accused of having like a community college arm where a lot of the players went for a while and did they stop that? That was, that was they were getting a whole bunch of crap about that for a while, I wonder if they still do it yeah, I don't know. Um, Nasir Cunningham, by the way, is from New Jersey, and I think uh, I've heard that name. And now he plays for Southern California Academy High School um, in uh, in Southern California. Uh, but he apparently is still an overtime elite prospect, so he must go there for for games and whenever they have them. I, I don't know. In the summer or whatever it is, he goes. Yeah. Uh, boy, it's a <clears throat> well. I mean, <clears throat> look at the money. I mean, it's not surprising. There's a uh, I mean, the Europeans, 
I mean, I know one of the guys I know that's uh, German, and I, well, he is German, he's from Germany, and I said, you know, what's it like over there? Do the, the colleges all have soccer teams? He goes, they have club soccer. <laughs> he goes, why should the colleges be involved in the, in the, the essentially the professional <laughs> stuff like you, do, like you have here? It's totally different. You know, like Notre Dame would have a club football team, you know, but the football players would all be in some pre-professional league. That's the way they design it over there. You know, it's, I don't know which is better, just different. Yeah. Well, you, you do it more. I, you do have to wonder why you have to masquerade it. I mean, you should be able to get through high school no matter what, but you would, I mean, it's kind of early to be planning all this, but uh, you would think you shouldn't have to really masquerade as a college kid to play football or basketball. Agreed. Uh, I yeah, guess, uh, and the, and the G League G League is out there as well. Uh, that I think the number three pick um, was uh, played a, a, in the G League for one year after high school because he didn't want to go to college. How, how does that work? Um, that, that's is that you don't have to be drafted to play. You can play in the G League undrafted. Apparently, yeah. So, so I didn't know that. I mean, Kevin was telling me that too. Yeah. So, now I don't know how you know. Obviously, you're not affiliated with a particular team in that instance. So I don't know how they decide you know which team you're going to play for. Um, so th- there's, all right. But start from the beginning. If you're, if you're playing minor league baseball, every one of those guys has been drafted and belongs to quote a team. Correct. So I couldn't just go down to some A league and try out and, and ride in there and have somebody. If I do that, I have to do that with like Crestwood or one of those kinds of places. Yeah, I mean, and and and, well, I mean, I I assume so. They could they can sign anybody. Right, so but they, I mean, they can a, sign a guy from Crestwood who's playing a, in an unaffiliated league. I mean, I don't think, I think if you're playing a pickup ball and a guy likes you, I think he can sign you. But I'm saying if I go to play for the South Bend Cubs, I'm a Cub. Yes, 100. percent You have to. You've been signed by the Cubs or drafted by the Cubs or whatever. Okay. But uh, in the G League instance, t- there's a portion of guys that have been drafted and they're getting developed down in the G League because they're or, or they're two-way guys that kind of bounce back and forth between the NBA roster and the G League roster. And then there's this this group of guys that seemingly um are just don't want to play in college and so they're going to they and they don't want to go to Europe or maybe they didn't get an offer good enough to go to Europe. And so they're like, "All right, I'll just, I'll stay here. I'll make the G League, you know, whatever the number I can get there." And in this instance, this guy made I think a few hundred thousand dollars to play one year, and then he ended up being, I think, the number three pick overall. So, see, I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. That's to me, that's sort of the point of it, right? It's yeah, like, but I blame all this on my brother, my my constant attention to detail. If you don't belong to a team, that means that the that the owner of quote the team has to somehow either pay you. He at least has to. I mean, he has to do something. He's got to be picking up workman's comp. He's got to do something. And you're an employee if you're playing. I don't think you can just donate your time and play, can you? I mean, there's got to be, if you're injured, I mean, the guy's got to, you know, you got to you got to get some doctor to help you out, right? I mean, uh, there's got to be some, we're, we're like all that stuff, the way I understand Major League Baseball is versus the minor leagues is like the guy who owns the South Bend Cubs, he picks up the travel, he picks up, uh, you know, the, the park and a bunch of stuff, but I think the P- Cubs pay all the players, they pay all the coaches, and I'm, uh, I'm guessing that all the, all the uh, medical and all other stuff is on the Cubs because they're the ones that sign the check. So it says, uh, on May 21, 2021, Henderson signed a two-year, $1 million contract with the NBA G League Ignite, a developmental team affiliated with the NBA G League. But they're not affiliated with... So they're, they're, they're not a, a team. They're just right. affiliated with the G League. Exactly. 
So he had, he signed with that team, who's just a developmental team in the league, but not uh, not you know the Bulls affiliate. So, in theory, if they weren't so so intent on being a monopoly, the Crestwood team could play against major league A teams if they let them, and they would just be a developmental place that people try out for. Yep. But they they won't. But they won't. It's not in their best interest. So you can elect me as president. So the first thing I'll do is get rid of major leagues. <laughs> can I trust? Thing? I mean, I'm fine with getting rid of it. I, I think it's a. I think it's a good idea. Let's let's if if, I mean, if there if there wants to if other leagues want to compete against the 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 four major leagues here, then I think more power to them. Yeah, yeah. The thing that that really frosted me the other night watching this, the draft is, is not so much the outfits. <laughs> well, I, I was curious. Where would you go buy one of those things? I mean, you used to be able to go to Smokey Joe's on 79th Street, but I don't think <laughs> well, there anymore. For these guys, these were custom made, of course. Yeah, I, I, and every guy. Not to mention, these guys are like six eight or tall. Yeah, plus so. everybody's got their entourage. You got like ten people there with them. You of get, course, I'd have, I'd have to get an entourage. Who would I have? You sort of have one. Who? I mean, me and Kevin. I guess. Yeah. What's a we had Thomas for a while. <laughs> I mean, we booted him out of the entourage. Uh, Rip, uh, you know, he's up there. I mean, we got you got. Oh, some so we, guys. Have an, we have an attorney in the entourage. That's <laughs> it's your entourage, not <laughs> mine. God, well, who's yours? Uh, you got all your your homies that play softball. Yeah, I got my basketball and softball guys. That yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, so if you made a whole bunch of dough, they'd all just be walking right behind you wherever you went. Right. If one of us needs to make a lot more dough, and then that guy can be the leader of the entourage. But you, you got to. Right now, it's me by default because I'm the captain and I always, you know, pay for the league fee up front and all that stuff. So it's me by, by default right now. But if someone, you know, really hits it big, they can take over. I have a, a couple of guys. We're thinking of getting to a bowling league this year. By the way, if we do, you'll, you'll be invited. It's on north side. I yeah. suck at bowling, so. It doesn't matter. It's the handicap league. I'm all good you, at drinking. All you do is get better as the year. And I, uh, I, I made a couple of rules, right? Uh, one being no pink balls. <laughs> and the other is you got to have your own ball because we don't want guys running around trying to find a house ball when we're, we're starting, you know. Okay. How much is a bowling ball? Yeah, whatever you want to pay. I mean, you can get one for 100 bucks, but you can get one for 500 bucks too. I don't think you need a $500 yeah. one. Well, I don't need a goldfish in it or anything. No, just... no. Right. And uh, so one of the guys, <laughs> this is how bizarre people are about about being fans. You know, what is fan is short for fanatic. So one of the guys comes up with a, he's going to get a Chicago Bears ball. And I go, you can't have a Chicago Bears ball. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, are the Bears sponsoring the team? <laughs> he goes, well, no, I'm a Bear fan. I said, no, let me ask you this. Are the Bears are they going to buy us all balls? Are they going to buy your ball? Well, no. I said, well, why, why would you market for the Bears? Well, I'm a fan. I said, you're un unclear on the concept. If I'm going to make, make everybody wear... Stocks and Jacks bowling shirts. At least I'm going to pay for them. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to charge you and say you got to wear a Stocks and Jacks T-shirt. It's not the way this works. Yeah, but I'm a bear fan. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I mean, the, the idea of of <laughs> whatever. That's no different than going going to a Notre Dame game and wearing a Notre Dame hat. I guess, but there at least you have the idea that you're contributing to the school, which is doing something good. Instead of just making money, although I'm not so sure I do that anymore. I'm convinced now they might just be wanting I think to make they're money. Just making money, just like everybody else. Uh, it didn't used to be like that, but now it's sort of when it was tuition was three thousand bucks. I felt a lot different about the place. Yeah. So what the, did you uh, happen to catch? If you can find it, and on, on, uh, well, 
well, the rest of the guys and I are talking later, the time-lapse photography and the transformation of that stadium in London from soccer to baseball was phenomenal. I'm going to have to find it and, and tweet it out because I have not seen it, but I, I know that they, you know, there was a lot of work done on the, um, the outfield, yeah. uh, and players were talking about it was the bounciest outfield they'd, they'd ever played on. Well, they put down brand-new clay, and then I think they put artificial – I think the outfield, outfield was artificial. It was, it was a I don't think it was grass the whole way. Well, that would make sense. But I think they're putting it in storage. Although it is an open stadium. Yeah, they're, they're putting it in storage. But I don't see how the part about uh, taking the uh, clay in from Pennsylvania and the grass, I think, from Vermont or someplace. Well, I don't know why you would have to import clay. There's no clay in Britain. Very odd. But anyway, that's what they. But I was listening to your uh, your buddy Arad, and uh, they, the guy got into a whole discussion with him about strikeouts. And uh, I don't know if it was up. It was this is early Sunday, so how many people are listening? He goes, how come with all this, with all the pitch clock and all the other stuff, everybody thought the amount of strikeouts were going to come down? And he goes, they're not going to come down if all the, the batting coaches now, all they do is talk about launch angles so you can hit home runs. You know, the pitchers, all they've done now is keep, everything is now four seam in the upper part of the box. Because you can't have an uppercut swing with a high fastball. You can't hit it. Because <laughs> somewhere along the line, somebody's going to figure this out. They're going to start teaching the people the way we were taught. Where you, you, you have a level swing, or even even hit down on it a little bit. Because the idea of, of an upswing when the ball's in the upper part of the ball, you'll never hit it. That's why you strike out all the time. Well, <clears throat> hitting down on the ball is is not a good way uh, to bat either in baseball. Um, but hitting you know the center of the ball would be ideal, yeah. obviously. Hitting down on the ball, I mean, they, they, they show ground ball rate versus, you know, when you elevate the ball, and it's, it's, it's undeniable that it, it's, it's a bad way to hit in the big leagues because you're going to get out if you hit the ball on the ground. Well, but it's, still, you, you it's better than a strikeout. Well, it, it, I mean, it is unless it's a double play. I would say a double yeah. play is worse than a strikeout. Yeah, Much hey, worse. Did you see um, – In fact, I would say it's twice as worse. Well, yeah, but somebody's got to get on for that to happen. <laughs> Do you see the uh, kid who's supposed – the number, the leadoff hitter for uh, LSU – they think he might be the number one in the draft. He made a great play in center field yesterday to, to stop a rally. I mean, he went up the wall and got one. Uh, I guess he was a catcher, and then he was a left fielder. Now he's a center fielder. They're still questioning whether he has, you know, major league ground coverage uh, because he was a catcher, but the kid can hit. The kid who hits behind him, if the one guy's on, I guess he's a base dealer too, when the guy's on first base, the kid's batting average is like 650, and when he's not, he's like 270. That's a spread. Yeah, I, they go. But I mean, I I remember when when Ryan Sandberg, the years that he had Bobby Dernier and Jerome Walton ahead of him, he was one hell of a better player. I mean, uh, there's much more of this team aspect of baseball than I think a lot of people give you, especially if the guy can harass the uh, pitcher a little bit, even a little bit. I mean, you get more fastballs, right? And you're not going to be throwing stuff in the dirt if you got a guy in first that can run. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's pretty. I, I was pretty. Uh, Obsessed with the uh, the college, you know. Of course, the difference in this. Uh, I'm, I'm really surprised that in this. I don't see how a regular team, even if you have a really good team, if you don't have like 25 people or how many people are on a baseball team that uh, that are good, how do you play all these games in a row? I mean, the kid who was the best pitcher, um, he 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 pitched the play-in game for the finals. He was unavailable for the whole finals. Yeah. 
that that's yeah that's that's tough. The only thing I don't like about college baseball is the aluminum bats. I yeah. just I just don't like it. I don't like the sound of it. I yeah. don't like the way the ball comes off of it. Um, it's just uh, it's not as appealing to me to watch. Now it, it's still fun to watch, yeah. um, especially if you have a dog in the fight for whatever reason. Whether if you if you bet on it or if you uh, if you you know your your alma mater's in there or something, it it's pretty awesome. But if you don't have a dog in the fight, it's just to me Major League Baseball is so much more appealing to watch. Well, the uh, what you'll find is all these kids now, if they want to get drafted high, no matter how good you do in college, they go play in the uh, like last summer. They go play in this what is it? Is it the Rhode Island League or the something league up there in the summertime? They take they Cape take Cod a, League, Cape Cod League. Or yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah, and, uh, and they play wooden bats. So everybody now, when you look at the, uh, I was reading last week about oh, I had nothing to do, so I'm sitting there watching the the ten guys that the Cubs might be able to get, and they're what they're drafting thirteenth or something. And uh, they were talking about every every single one of these, not every single one, but a lot of them have. The guy's hitting, you know, 380 in college. And, oh, by the way, when he went to the Cape Cod League, even with a wooden bat, he was hitting 360. So they're, they're, they immediately try and check and see if you can if you can do both. Uh, and a lot of those kids are doing that just to prove they can hit with a wooden bat. But, you know, it's like, it's like everything else. Uh, Audrey's friend, unfortunately, passed away early. Uh, her son was a big-time star at, uh, I don't know, one, one school's out South Sanford, one of those places. And he ended up going to, to uh, Stanford on a, car, on a ride. Well, the this is when they they you know the, the idea is you weren't going to have wood bats in like high school and little league anymore. They're all I guess they're all aluminum, right? Uh, so the idea was it was going to cut down on cost. Well, as time has gone by, that's that's a total load of crap uh, because that's she's, what I always heard too. Yeah, it was supposed to cut down on cost, but now it's a total load of crap because the parents evidently buy the bats, and she says the bat loses its its pop after. You know, whatever. Certainly, a season. This had to be. The kid's been out of Stanford, and he was playing with the Cardinals for. I'm saying this is minimum 15 years ago. And she said, "I, I have I have a whole stack of 375 hour bats in the garage that, <laughs> that are like no good anymore. You know, oh once, my God! Once you you know you, you use them in the summer league, then no, you need a, you need another bat for the for the for the because they lose their they lose their pop. I didn't know that. Well, you, I mean, know. eventually, I guess I would know that, but I didn't know it was that quickly. Well, the the whole difference. I mean, I well, don't go into too much detail. If uh, you and I don't play a lot of twelve inch, but but Dan, my brother, was playing a lot of twelve inch as he got older because he was a good ball player. And there's a real lot of twelve inch, you know, over fifty leagues, over fifty five, over sixty. There's actually even over seventy league, uh, where they, you know, guys can still hit. You know, they just end up at that point. I think you got like twelve guys in the field or something because uh, you can't move very much and. Uh, but they have they have 190 mile hour bats and 120 mile hour bats, and the 120 mile hour bat or the 90 mile hour bats is what they use in most of the leagues here. And he was playing third base. And he goes, you know, you go to one of these tournaments and they're using these 90 mile hour bats. There's a whole difference now. 12 inch, the, the the bat you want the bat to be, have like a spring to it because you can actually launch the ball like you can a a hard ball. If the ball's hard, the spring in the bat can actually launch it. But now those things don't don't do any good in a 16-inch ball because the ball's not that hard and it's heavier. You, you, you got to essentially maul the ball, for lack of a better term. So those bats are useless with a 16-inch. I mean, they're not useless. You can hit them, but there's no advantage to them. But I mean, Dan was saying, yeah, these guys. I mean, if you if you you know use it for a year, it's 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 toast. I mean, in terms of you know, it's it's still fine. I mean, you could go certainly take batting practice with it, but if you're actually going to use it in a game. I said, well, how much difference in the, in the bats? He goes, 
if you're going to a tournament where and he's playing third base, where you're uh, you know using the ninety or uh, hundred twenty mile an hour bats, is a you're wearing a cup <laughs> and you're and you're standing behind third base. And Dan had pretty good reflexes. He goes, I, he goes, it was a whole different game, you know. Uh, but the, but anyway, I, I bet if you total it all up now, they're not even saving anything. You're probably not. Um, anyway, SP, SP Futures uh, up six only now. Nasdaq Futures up 57. Come back, Mr. Joel Cannon. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. 
Lone Wolf Pack, Stocks and Jacks. Man, we're on the board. SP Futures up five and a quarter. As that Futures up 53. We're trying to make a, a move out of the day. Um, earnings last night, kind of interesting. Uh, Walgreens down 207 as they say consumer print spending is dropping across the board. Plus, they have a, a big drop off in uh, I mean, the COVID shots and COVID tests. So, but they are talking about consumer spending dropping. And all day long, you listen to people say, no, consumer spending isn't dropping. If you're dropping in the drugstore, I think you're probably dropping everywhere. It's just person's opinion. Now futures down 17. Uh, yesterday, the way of review, Dow was down 12, so not much of the Dow. S&P down 19.5, and NASDAQ down 156. It's big moves in uh, the stocks that have been going up so much. NVIDIA was down, Tesla was down, Microsoft down, so NASDAQ took kind of a hit yesterday. We'll see if it comes back today. It's up 53 points, so it's back you know, a third of what it was down yesterday, so maybe it'll stay there. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 6, call that flat. What's he down 8? Call that flat. Jack around down 3, but so they're all down, but very, very minuscule. Grenadia, the Nikkei, down 160. That's two days in a row. That's 0.5%, 32,538. Uh, Hang Seng, which had been down, now is up today. 354, it's almost 2%, 19,148, as the thing continues to move up and down all over the place. Shanghai up 38, 1.2. They were down a bunch yesterday, and they bounced back. So it was a five-day losing streak that Hong Kong uh, stopped. So... They've been, uh, they've been getting hit pretty good. Uh, bonds, 10-year unchanged. The Bund, 10-year unchanged. Japan, up two basis points, 0.38. Oil, uh, down another buck, 10, one and a half, uh, 68.27. Kind of makes you wonder why gas in Chicago is like five hours. Uh, Brent down 115, 73.03. Natural gas down two cents, 276. We've got gold down 280 after a run-up yesterday. Not so much today, 1930. Now it's even probably even going to 1950, much less... Uh, 2000 silver up 11 cents 2293 copper down a penny 376 bitcoin up 385 uh firmly over 30,000 now 30,621 and the US dollar is down against both the euro uh, and the uh, British pound the British pound 127.2 and the euro uh, 1094 maybe we got for traffic weather sports 36 minutes past the hour good morning to everyone out there we're off to a good start here on a Tuesday morning uh, in fact no accidents to report on any of the area expressways uh, so that's good news you're seeing traffic building on the uh, inbound at Kennedy as you would expect uh, but nothing out of the ordinary. Eden's looking good. Traffic building on Eisenhower and Stevenson, but no accidents to report. And the Southside Expressways are behaving themselves. One crash in the area is in the southwestern suburbs, International Parkway at Joliet Road. There is an accident. But everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, lots of clouds and haze early. And then we'll see some sunshine later on. But a cool temperature is a high of just 71. Right now it's overcast and 66 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunny and hot with a high of 108 today. Right now it's clear and 82. In sports, White Sox lost to the Angels uh, last night in Anaheim 2-1. Cubs were off. They'll host the Phillies tonight. D-backs were off as well. They'll welcome uh, the uh, best team in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays, into town tonight. Uh, as we take a quick look at our Tuesday morning Major League Baseball standings, White Sox are 34-46. and 46. 12 games below 500, but just six back in the AL Central, fourth place in that division. The Cubs, after winning eight out of 10, um, are 37 and 39, uh, two games below 500, but just three back of the Brewers, who uh, leapfrogged the Reds again and now lead the NL Central. And the D backs are still in first place, Chief. They have a two and a half game lead on the Giants, 47 and 32. Lastly, real quick, it was LSU uh, coming back after getting blown out Sunday night and then blowing out Florida on their own. 
uh, as they win the College World Series uh, in Omaha, two games to one over Florida. Congrats to uh, LSU. Chief? Yeah, they, uh, they've won seven times. I didn't realize that the team that has won the most that I haven't seen up there in ages is in Southern Cal. they got like nine. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been pretty much all SEC for the last two decades, it seems. Yeah, I'm really, I mean, you know, Joel, how are you, buddy? Doing well, doing well. If we're talking college baseball, then uh, I'm not going to be able to contribute much. No, I was <laughs> I mean, actually I have a, a question for you. We've been talking, we were talking earlier about the, the basketball thing and how five of the top seven people drafted. Oh, yeah. Were the, uh, yeah. From that other the group in Atlanta. Do you, do you know, you, you know, you know a lot of what Michigan's doing. Do you, you think people can tr- try and recruit kids? I mean, once they go there, they won't accept your phone call or... Or does Michigan still try and recruit kids out of there, out of that group? Or do you think it still goes on or no? Uh, I know. I think they go there. They're, um, you know, I, I don't want to make any individual statements, okay, regarding any of those players that went. But college isn't easy. I no. mean, even if you're an athlete and if you have no desire to study, then you go to that league. If you have no desire to continue in education in any capacity, then you go. And I, I mean, that might be kind of jaded, but, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. If basketball is going to be their profession, then that's fine. But I think, you know, um, you know, there's your student athlete, and that's just an athlete. So, yeah. that, you know, that's my take on it. I'm a little jaded. You you know how an old guy like me is jaded with new things. It's hard, hard not to be. <laughs> and, it, and it just kind of takes the fun. I mean, you know, it just kind of takes the fun out of college basketball. I consider myself a knowledgeable college basketball fan. And the day before the draft, I hear about the Thompson Twins. I mean, you know, what am I gonna? You know, I'm, do I have time to follow that league? No. So um, it was a it was a disappointment. And uh, but hey, you know, Chief, it's all about the moolah, right? Yeah, oh yeah. It's all about the moolah. So well, that, that's so, my take on it. Well, you have to wonder when when there's so much money in this baseball, which it appears there is. You really in America, you have to wonder how how many teams are in basketball. How, 30 guys get to vote on somebody else becoming 31. You know, if there's that much demand for it, you'd think five other people would be able to join it, form a team if they wanted to. Uh-huh. You would think, but uh, evidently it's not. We have this, our little pockets of monopolies or, or cartels that we seem to like for some reason. What do you what do you make about, we didn't chance last week to talk much about the market. What, what do you make of this? Some of the, 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 the Magnificent Seven is coming back this week. Is this just a little minor correction or is it more than that? Uh, I mean, they're still high. Hmm. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, uh, and I don't know if we touched on this, uh, you know, last week. Uh, you know, the uh, expiration, the quad witch turn, right? Yeah. Do you get a? Did you get a? Uh, 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 you know, a strong continuation on the trend on that Monday. You know, a lot of times when you get that, you get the close near the high, boom, and you just take off. You go to the next quarter, and you just keep on going. Uh, conversely, Friday was a weekday, a week ago Friday, uh, a week expiration. You had the market come down off the highs. Actually, the highs were made in the opening print. That set the tone for the Monday trading of last week. So you are in a, uh, a decline. You are in a retreat. Uh, will the market find footing? Will the market find support? It's You, know, you always talk about selling the rip and buying the dip. You do get to points in the market where, hey, it's easier to identify resistance in this market right now than somewhere where you would just want to step in. And maybe on individual stocks is a little bit different, 
Uh, but right now, we're rolling over. We're coming over. I mean, not major. Uh, coming to the end of the quarter, I think some people are saying, hey, I, I got to book some NVIDIA here. I got to book some uh, the profits. Analysts have been weighing in on stocks like Tesla, moving the stocks a little bit more. So, hey, it's been a great, uh, you know, first quarter rocky, but okay. Second quarter, darn good. I want to get my bonus. I want to show people I'm up, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12% yeah. for keeping up with the market. So, um, haven't found stability yet. We'll see how the month ends and then, uh, you know, move on into July. VIX is coming down. That's good for the market. Uh, so, you know, not much on the geopolitical front unless you consider, a, you know, a 30-hour queue or something like that. Uh, but, not you know, not a lot to go off here until you start uh, Q2 earnings season, and that's still a couple of weeks away. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised at the uh, last the end of last year. I mean, obviously, as a, as a guy who manages money, it's nobody wanted to be in any of the stocks that have performed well this year. Everybody wanted to be in, because they, they had a bad last year. So, but everybody wanted to be in oil, everybody wanted to be in Consumers, everybody wanted to be in dividend stacks because the rates were going up, and everybody wanted to be in all that stuff. All that's all that stuff done horribly in the in the, the stacks that everybody wanted out of. The Magnificent Seven have been, have been the whole year. Now, is that going to turn the other way? I don't see Joel. How many people out there are talking about hundred and twenty dollar oil? Have they all shut up or what? Oil's under seventy bucks. It looks like it's going nowhere. I mean, is it just me or? I mean, if I've been waiting for oil to go up, I'm waiting for gold to go up. And that's not moving, but his oil goes nowhere. I mean, these stocks are just—they're just—they're just moribund. I mean, yeah, they've had a run. Well, you know me; I'm kind of like the perma bear on oil for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but uh, you know, you can look at it a lot of different ways. But um, you know, if this EV, uh, you know, and, and I know oil's used for other things. I'm not a, a numbskull. Uh, but you know, whatever, whenever we make the transition to more of that EVs, then there could be less of a demand for oil. When I see a commodity or something that is going to be facing headwinds on demand, and you have suppliers out there that want to supply, and they tell you that they um, are cutting supply when they're actually increasing supply, uh, my old economics professor would say, hey, based on that su- supply-demand scenario, hmm, prices... Well, how do you... Uh, how do you parse how's that for a word how do you how do you parse the the debate where if you listen to the talking heads uh, which neither one of you you or i am are uh all they do is talk about ah, you know demand for oil everybody's gonna be electric cars and everybody's gonna have hookups in their in their garage and all this other all this other crap and yesterday somebody some worldwide group came out and said by the year the 2030 or 2035 oil demand's gonna be up 25 to 30 percent from now with all developing countries i mean Who's right? I'm, I'm I'm thinking they're right. I don't see it. Ah, uh, boy, oh boy, I don't know. I that's too. That's that's. Uh, uh, I'm hoping around to see that, Chief. I, I I just why wouldn't those companies go? You know, electric as a as opposed to you know the well, I technology. I'm not, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm not saying know. just for automobiles. I'm saying just worldwide oil demand for all the different things you use it for. Is yeah, that, those is, people are smarter than me, Chief. Because I I can't I can't project out that far. Well, I mean the the idea of, of telling people in India or China or any of these other places that because you know the U.S. decides to go electric, you can't own a car. I mean I don't I don't know if that's going to work. I mean, no, 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 nah, no. I I just uh, don't know, Chief. That's a tough one. You throw me tough ones every once in a while, and 
that that one's a tough one. I'm just, I'm more in the here and more in the now, and I'm looking at what's going on in our country. I'm looking at what's going on with supply and demand, efficiencies. Solar never was really, you know, it was supposed to take over the world too. It hasn't, but uh, there are more uh, there are more efficient ways uh, to derive energy and more efficient and cleaner. Now I know that that. Uh, that ESG thing is uh, falling by the wayside in a lot of ways, but uh, I'm just yeah. a perver bear. Per- perver bear. But that's it for <laughs> All me, All right, buddy, Chief. take care of yourself. Have All a right, good go week. SB Futures up 4, NASDAQ Futures up 51. Be right back real fast, Mr. Kenny Polkiri. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Opex, Tyson Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Yeah, Weber on the board. SP Futures up 350. NASDAQ Futures up 48. I think I, I still have that album. God. Great song. Yeah, yeah. So you think time is on your side, Matty, or not? <laughs> I hope so. <It's, laughs> it reaches a point where I'm not so sure it is, but uh, do we have Mr. Kenny? We do. Kenny, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. I have, I have questions for you, as usual. Uh, two things. One is um, the... The creatures on TV, uh, the, the talking heads, constantly talking about how great the world of the consumer is, 
and you and the, the, you know obviously the high end restaurant they went to the night before was crowded and first class you know, plane tickets are crowded. Then you see something like Walgreens come out this morning and say how consumer demand on everything has dropped like a like a rock. How do you how do you equate the two? <laughs> I think it's just a story that they want you to hear, right? Walgreens, I mean, look what's happening. Uh, well, not only across the country, but you know, in parts of the state, those big stores are closing down, right? The big cities because they're, because they're getting robbed and and and, uh, and molested day after day after day. So that's part of why why they're closing down. But I don't think the consumer, um, I don't think the consumer is as weak, but I don't also think it's as strong as they say it is. Uh, as they say we are, I think there's a lot of people that are struggling. I think you can see that in you know what they're what they're choosing to buy versus you know, what they can, you know, they can use discretionary money for, which is not a whole lot. You saw that kind of in the discretionary consumer uh, index yesterday, right? That came yeah. under pressure uh, when you think of names like, you know, whether it's whether it's restaurant chains that are, you know, having a tough time in terms of people choosing not to go out or whether people are downsizing to, you know, they're going to Walmart. They're not going to the high-end stores anymore because they're trying to get a bigger bang for their buck. Yeah, it's kind of hard to figure. I, one thing I noticed in the last few weeks, and, I, and since you're you know you're more worldly wise than me, I'm going to say I'm going to ask you this question. And plus, Maddie knows because he's in the, this is the business. I noticed kind of a as people are uh, deciding whether we're going to go cashless or not. It almost yeah. seems it almost seems to be a class thing. Where if you go to a baseball game, you go somewhere where you're paying you know 13 bucks a beer. Nobody wants cash. You know, and if you're, you know, I'll say you're a one percenter for the day, paying thirteen bucks for a beer. Uh, right. When, when a case you can buy for thirteen bucks, pretty well, you can't buy it for thirteen or sixteen ounces, but close. They, right. they don't. They, they everything want all credit card. Yet. Well, you know, it's interesting, credit card or debit card, whatever, because yeah. sometimes when you use the debit card, you don't actually realize. You know, if you take cash out, if the guy says you thirteen dollars for beer, and you take cash out of your pocket and you count out the $13 for the beer, you say to myself, you say to yourself, $13 for a beer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes no sense. But if you're using the debit card, it's like, you know, you don't even, you just swipe your debit card, you walk away, right? There's a, there's a, there's a sense that you're not really paying attention because you don't actually see it, well, which is a problem because yeah. I will be the first one to tell you, I'm very guilty of that. I don't walk around. If I have $40 in my pocket at any point in time, that's probably a lot of money because I just, I just use my card wherever I go. So I'm guilty of that. Right, I'm guilty of of of, of, right, of, in, of. In full disclosure, Kenny has one of those money belts with 15 Benjamins in the money belt. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's not in his pocket. So he, he didn't. He didn't tell a lie. It's not in his pocket, but it's not like he's not walking around with at least a G. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> I actually, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's very interesting because, like I said, if I walk around with more than forty dollars in my pocket, I f- I actually feel safer because if I get robbed, okay, here's forty bucks. I don't have you know four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars sitting in my pocket. You want forty bucks? Take it, right? I less less cash in my pocket. Well, what I've seen on the uh, the south side the last couple of weeks was uh, Audrey's pooch had a little surgery, so he didn't go far from the house, right? So, but if you go to these like these smaller breakfast places and in the, the places that are trying to keep the prices down for the families and stuff, and not go crazy, all of them now want three and a half percent if you use a credit card. Yeah, so you, I know it's almost like I mean, you probably have heard it back in the day where the the dude who used to the studies different classes of society where he would he would trace the price of low class hookers and high class hookers to see how the diff, how the groups were growing apart. 
One one year he yeah. came out that the high class hookers were like doubled the year before. The low class hookers couldn't f- couldn't find anybody. It was like, it was like that bad. Uh, I think it's almost the same way. I mean, regular people they don't want to pay the three and a half percent on the credit no, card. No, you don't. What? No, you don't want to pay the three and a half percent. Which is why I think um, you're going to see you're going to start to see that change. I think, although although I suppose it's just another way. Uh, for the credit card companies to make more, you know, for somebody to make more money because, you know, somebody's getting that three and a half percent, right? We're paying it and somebody's just getting it. The same way now, you know, if you notice when you go into any store now, it's almost any store, you you know, you, you go to pay the bill and you put your debit card in the little, like the iPad thing that's sitting on the counter and they casually flip it around and send it to you like, oh, it wants to ask you a question. Yeah, it wants to ask you for a tip everywhere you go. Oh, yeah, everybody yeah. wants a tip now. Every single person wants a tip. Yeah, a three and a quarter for a coffee at the Dunkin' Donuts they want a tip. It's ridiculous, yeah, right? Ridiculous. I told you what happened to me at McDonald's uh, two months ago. I went in there, and, and the guy asked me for a tip. I go, what? I ordered it at the kiosk, right? Yeah. Not even a human being. I ordered it at the kiosk. I paid for it at the kiosk, and then the guy delivers it to me. He asked me if I wanted to leave him a tip. I, I, like, I, I thought I misunderstood him when he said it, right? Leave a tip. Don't eat yellow snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a tip. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, so what do you what, what do you make of uh, every every place everybody wanted to be at the beginning of the year? Banks, oil companies, everything can't get out of their own way at all. The other guys went to the moon, the seven, and now they're coming back. Is this just a little pause, or are we no, going to so here's rotating what I think, again? We're coming in, no, here's what I think because we're coming into the end of the quarter, right? And we've seen it, right? The Nasdaq, you know, it's not down tremendously. I think it's down four percent yeah, since yeah, the high two yeah. weeks ago, right? But you see other names, you know, some of the high flight. Tesla was down six percent yesterday, right? C three dot IA, which dot AI, which was up two hundred percent on the year, is down thirty percent over the last two or three days because asset managers, as we move into the the end of the quarter, they're going to take some money off of places where it's newfound and some of these names that are really overdone uh, and reallocate it. And I think you are starting to see, and we start, you know, over the last couple of days, money's moving into industrial names, money's moving into uh, small and mid-cap names, right? It, it's being selective in some of the bank names because maybe there's a little bit of concern that there's going to be more turmoil in the banking industry with commercial real estate loans and all that stuff, which I'm not so sure. I'm completely, in. although while I think that makes you some problems. I don't necessarily think it's going to be it's going to be det- so detrimental to the banking industry as maybe some people think it is because I'm actually uh, the financials are one sector that I like along with industrial names along with um, healthcare names, right? It's places that have been underperforming, uh, but places I think that are going to start to see more money. And you're seeing that over the last couple of weeks as money moves out of tech uh, and it finds other places to go to. Look what happened to the transports yesterday. Yeah. And not not even like, you know, ODFL. I put it in my note this morning. These stocks are up, you know, better than 2% um, as as new money finds its way. And some of the, some of the industrial, the big industrial names also acted very well. R- r- real estate REITs that was up two and a quarter percent yesterday. The XLRE, which is the real estate sector of the S and P, that was up two and a quarter. And the real estate REITs, like like uh, public storage, like CubeSmart, those names were all up better than two percent yesterday. And if you and if you have a a storage space, you know exactly what I mean. Once you get it, they put you on automatic billing. You don't even pay attention to it. They charge you one hundred and fifty or two hundred dollars a month. You don't even realize it. And, and they're like they're like they just print cash. It's oh yeah, unbelievable. without a doubt. I uh. Okay, and when you talk about the uh, commercial real estate, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Although in Chicago, things things are pretty bad, at least in the downtown. Yep. 
Ontario. I think in place. the cities. No, I think in the cities that that's right. But I don't think broadly across the nation. I think there will be Chicago. Listen, New York too. Right? I think there's. Uh, I think there's you some, walk around New York and it's a. It's a. It looks like a ghost town. I think there's big uh, strip mall problems. Um, some of the places that have lost the anchor stores, like here yeah. in Chicago. But I, the thing that yeah, you know, I, I think you're very correct on, and I, is I don't think it's affecting. Let me put, how, can I, how can I say this? Say the Board of Trade building is in foreclosure, or or uh, insurance exchange building. I know for sure is in foreclosure. The people who bought the place, I think, Manny, would they have forty, fifty million in the place? They just said screw it, we're out. So yeah. So there's a hundred. Um, I just a number from a long time ago. Jan Flanagan knows better than me, but let's say there's a hundred twenty million dollar nut on the place. Yeah. I don't. I don't. When, when you when you say there's no damage, I think there's damage, but I don't think. I'm going to say forty years ago. That loan might have been Continental Bank. It might have been First National Bank. I don't think these big banks have these kinds of loans. But somebody's got them. But you're right; they're not the people you're talking about. I don't know. There's some kind of consortium or something. I mean, somebody somewhere is left holding the bag. I don't necessarily think it's the banks you and I would invest in tomorrow. No, no, and it may be. You know, I mean, I think a lot of the money that comes to support those places comes from. Uh, industries like the insurance industry, right? That has yeah. has to try to allocate long term money. Um, I think those are places where uh, you're going to see a lot of that money. And I, like I said, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be so much the banks. I don't think we're going to see this complete, you know, uh, fallout in the banking sector. I just don't. But some, but somebody's got it. You know, that's a, a bit, part yeah. of it. Part of it says Kenny's right. It's not going to be those places. The other part of me says, okay, it's somewhere. Well, who is it? If I don't know, if, so, I, if it's not them, who is it? You know. Yeah. Right. I mean, because yeah. that's, yeah, obviously, that's the, it's like one of the things we talk about with uh, Dan, every, not every Thursday, because it would be boring. Uh, yeah. I said, okay, Dan, there's all this dollar-denominated Chinese debt, euro-denominated, and yeah. I've, I've been reading bits and pieces, you don't, you never get a tidbit of that information, that it's a lot of it's non-performing, a lot of them, who owns this crap? And, and, and who's in trouble that we don't know about? I mean, uh, somebody's got to be, you would think, yeah. but I, I, I have no clue to you. Is it no, all- I don't. Other than, like I said, you know, you might get insurance companies. But the thing about insurance companies, you know, if they they can potentially ride it out, right? They're not necessarily going to panic, but they could ride it out. I'm not saying they're going to, but that's probably where I'm going to see or where we're going to see, you know, some of the damage, right? If they don't, if they if they panic and try to blow it out. But then again, when they do that, what's it do? It creates opportunity for somebody because they blow it out at you know at fire sale prices. Uh, just at the point when they probably should not have blown it out, right? Well, that's what do you what do you make of? I don't want to have that much time. I just have a, an odd. Yesterday, the big headlines here in the, in the Chicago area because we've got State Farm and Allstate are kind of around here, and uh, yeah. everybody is now trying to raise their, their auto insurance to the moon because they're saying, yeah. In last year, Maddie, what did State Farm say? They lost billion dollars in a quarter or two billion dollars because of price of repair and blah blah blah. I'm, I'm trying my, my south side mind says if that's the case how come yeah. like damn near every single commercial at a major event is somebody trying to sell you auto insurance yeah it's crazy down here too auto insurance as long as as well as other insurances down here have just gone absolutely nuts down in Florida and it's yeah. uh, and I actually just it's so funny that you say that because I just changed my insurance to Allstate because down here they were they were um, they were the best they were the be- I, I did a lot of shopping around because the prices were ridiculous um, for auto insurance yeah, right? they know. wanted to charge you almost twelve thousand dollars a year for two cars I'm like what and you'd think I'm driving Maseratis I'm not and I'm sitting there going 
what? It was absolutely crazy. Kenny, when you when you get a, when you got a Ferrari and a Duesenberg, it's going to cost you. Yeah, you're, you're a jerk. <laughs> hey, hey, speak <laughs> real quick. Did you hear the, your your guy, the head of uh, Fiat, today comes out? You can tell how Italian marketing is. I don't know if you caught yeah. this this morning. They sell uh, like one out of four cars or something. They sell in Europe is gray. People love the color, and it's yeah. it's like their number one selling color in, in Britain for sure. They're now yeah. going to stop selling gray cars because they want people to have a brighter attitude. Even though it's like the, here they're, in the states or in well, Europe, everywhere, everywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, they, I did not see that. It's, it's, I did not see that. Even, but that's even, an interesting concept. Trying to make you feel better because gray can be kind of a somber color, right? But even, but it's their most popular color, evidently. Yeah, and they're going to well, say because no. I think gray. You know, gray's funny because it can it can give you the impression of being a rich color, like it just it kind of it kind of eeks of money and richness in the sense that you know people driving black cars are great cars but it's also a somber color right it can be kind of remind you like of a funeral <laughs> well yeah my, I know when my when my parents used to get that color they'd say well when you buy it it's silver when you sell it it's gray <laughs> so, yeah, yeah anyway yeah, 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 but yeah. Guy, how, I, I can't imagine you, either one of us coming out, coming out and saying by the way, the most popular stock people like here is uh, Tesla. We're not going to we're not going to sell anybody Tesla anybody. Like, why would you do that? I mean, why does what does he care what the color is? Anyway, yeah. but Kenny, take care of yourself as usual. Good stuff, and we happy are happy fourth, huh? Uh, yeah, happy fourth, and we're uh, yeah because we're not on next week. It's next Tuesday, so I'm assuming right. you're not on. No, yeah, we're off. I, I get so used to the holidays being on a Monday. I don't even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, take care. By yourself. the way, I got to reach out to Maddie because if we're going to organize this September thing, I'm going to reach out to Maddie so we can get it organized. Yes, we need some dates. If you got to tell us the dates you're there, and then I'll make everybody conform. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye. All right. Goodbye. SP futures up three. Nasdaq futures up forty six. I'll be right back. Stacks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm talking about uh, Matt Weber and the board. SP Futures up 275. Nasdaq Futures up 43. Do we have the professor? Hey, good morning. How are you? Uh, Maddie? If, if I'm not mistaken, isn't uh, your lovely bride's car gray? It's black, actually. All right. Well, is your Mercedes gray? No, it's black. So you guys are in the two black things. Eh? Yes. So, um, we deci- decided to stop the production of Fiat gray cars 
says Oliver Francois, CEO and Chief Global. This is challenging and disruptive, and it is aimed at further reinforcing Fiat's leadership as the brand of joy, colors, and optimism. So they're done with gray. They're done with gray. <laughs> Al, uh, you need to. If you're, if, if, so if you have a gray, I car, love I love gray. I don't know what's the problem with gray. I mean, clearly, why gray. Clearly, you have no joy, no sense of color, and no optimism. Well, uh, I mean, gray is uh, half black, right? Maybe they don't like black people. I don't know. Um, oh God, the uh, the uh, I don't know what's wrong with gray. Gray is yeah. a great color. Washington State uniforms. It's uh, football uniforms. The best looking ones are the ones where they have that that kind of like that dull gray with the crimson. Yeah. They're awesome, man. Well, well, you just can't buy buy a Fiat. Did you ever own a Fiat? No, I owned a Triumph TR7. And the guy I bought it from, the dealership I bought it from in Lewiston, uh, sold it to me for $2,100, which was a lot of money when I was a, a high school graduate. And uh, the head gasket kept blowing. And the mechanic told me that the uh, head had been machined too much and it wouldn't hold gaskets. So I took it back to the guy and he wouldn't give me my money back. So that triggered my entry into the Navy. Ah. I had no way to pay that off, and the car didn't work. So, so I think I kind of escaped. So what did you do, run in the ocean? No, I just uh, gave it back to him. And he, uh, uh, I think I just I remember. I think I just gave it back to him, and he gave me like two hundred dollars or something, the, which uh, didn't cover the repair. But it was a beautiful car, black with a uh, you know the convertible. I only drove it once. <laughs> uh, here's here's our buddy Kevin. Get a load of this. I like silver gray cars because they don't look dirty even when they are. That shows you got a lack of optimism. Now, if you had optimism, you'd want to you'd want to wash your car. Right. Well, th- th- that's probably why I like it because I'm an economist. I want to minimize my effort. Actually, in response to Kevin, I love the debate with him. I had a a brown, the ugliest brown Dodge Ram Charger. Remember those things, the big SUVs? It was like their answer to the Ford Bronco with a full size job. You're, yeah, I just remember the Dodge pickups in the 1970s being horrible to work on. Yeah, well, the uh, that that thing was so ugly, but it didn't get any uglier the dirtier it got. And if you wash it, it didn't yeah, make any, didn't make any that kind of sounds like a Rodney Dangerfield uh, joke. Yeah, but it was just it was, it was a color you, you couldn't tell. It's sit there and go, I better get this thing washed. It was just as bad. I mean, it was just a bad yeah. color. I mean, or a good color if you didn't want to wash it. I guess it was a. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we're uh, we're talking to Kenny a little bit about uh, some of the. The split and who pe- and the people who want to have cash versus others, where some people are charging you more for credit cards and other places they won't even take cash. So, what do you make of that? Is there is there some split in society there? I, I'm kind of alluding to the fact that there might be because the lower the lower price places don't want to pay the three and a half extra if they can get away with it. Well, but, I think inflation's just gotten so bad that uh, people are people are squeezed. They don't want to. The margins are so small now. Uh, I mean. As inflation has increased, firms really can't raise the prices. I mean, because consumer they feel the pushback from consumers from buying less. So I think when we go into recession, I think we're in recession. That's why the Pac-12 is really having a difficult time negotiating this media right. One of the reasons, not all of it, but one of the reasons why they're having such a hard time is because there's just not as much money around. And I think you're right. Yeah. ESPN is ESPN is scaling back. They're they're firing talent. So when you have this kind of inflation, it means we can't buy uh, the wants that we want to 
we are because we're barely affording the needs, and that squeezes the margins. And so any small business that now is accepting only cash, they're probably really feeling the squeeze on their margins. Yeah, Manny, what is what is the normal spiff? I mean, uh, how much does it something? What is what does the merchant end up losing on a credit card transaction, and how much? squeezes they're in there. I mean, is it, if you and I open up a breakfast joint, are we paying 4% and the Cubs are paying 1%? Is it that big of a spread? Or, or is I would it... have no idea. Okay. Uh, who was the guy we had on that knew all about that stuff? Was it, who was the basketball player we had on the one time? Tell us his name. The guy played left field for us? Right field? Oh, uh, uh, Tim Doyle. He, he, his brothers own a uh, merchant processing company um, where they, they sell, you know, basically points on the, on the credit card transaction terminals. Um, he he knew a lot about that several years ago. I, I assume a lot of that's changed in the last ten years. Yeah, I would think so too. But but yeah, I don't know what the latest is. I know they take a piece. I, I assume it's very small in it because I know it's competitive. Because you have a, a lot of uh, uh, firms like you know the one he worked for that undercut you know the the big uh, the big processors and take less, and so it gets better and better for the merchant in that regard. But it's not it's it's not like. If you're big like the Cubs, it's one percent. If it's your, you and I have a bar, it's five. It's not that big of a spread. Uh, I wouldn't think so because it's it's too competitive to have that big of a spread. Okay, there's there's hundreds, if not thousands, of these these merchant processors and and, and ISOs out there that um, that that you know will will sign merchants on the street and and they'll have a book of business of you know of just a few hundred merchants right in in their area, and and they'll you know they'll service them directly and 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 somehow they they're able to undercut you know the the, the normal fee. Well, next month uh, I have a Discovery card, which actually you know I'm not pushing for Discover, but it's actually a pretty interesting card. But uh, I and every quarter they rotate on where you get the discount. And next next quarter is going to be I think it's four or five percent off your gasoline purchases. Now, I guess the question is, you are hell, who pays for that? I mean, if somebody does. Is it, they're they're not they're not well, sticking the shelf just- for for five percent, are they? Well, I think it's just like a tax. It depends on how inelastic demand is relative to supply. It's just like a tax. When you when you, when students uh, when students learn about tax incidents in microeconomics, if demand's perfectly inelastic, um, right, then the consumer pays all of the tax burden. So for products that have where st- uh, where uh, consumers are really insensitive to a price change, to something like they're addicted to, like coffee um, or alcohol. Uh, that that uh, uh, visa or processing charge, whatever you want to call it, that, what, 3% that the merchant has to give to visa with those transactions, uh, that would be borne almost entirely by the consumer who's very insensitive to a price change, very addicted to a product. So, uh, want uh, needs with very few substitutes, the consumer would be paying most of that burden. But like with products that have lots of substitutes, that fee would be paying be paid mostly by the uh, uh, merchant. It just depends on elasticity of demand versus supply. Well, you're when you talk about stuff that's. I know we're, we're kind of over maybe everybody's head, but I'm going to give a quick definition that you can critique me on. Um, elasticity is, is a certain amount where if 
when, when Al says you're insensitive, like for instance, if you if you only use your car to go to work, and you have to drive it there, okay, that's how you're going to get to work, and there's no other way to get there. You you have a totally inelastic demand curve for gasoline. It really doesn't matter whether it's four bucks or five bucks or six. You got to get it. But that doesn't yeah, mean you get there. that doesn't mean that if you use your car half for work and half for pleasure, you might be able to cut back on the pleasure part. So you're not totally inelastic. You're slightly, you know, you're 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 in the middle somewhat. Yeah. So it's, it's well really in, a, in a recession. In a recession with inflation, I would argue the demand for gasoline is very inelastic for most consumers. Well, it is. It, for rich it, people, it's not. But it is in the short short term. But yeah. I mean, oil is is a fascinating. I'm surprised you picked oil because even even uh, the supply of oil tomorrow is very inelastic, but a year yeah. from now isn't. Yeah. Right. So. Well, actually, I mean, that's if you go along with the uh, mainstream view on supply. Right. Where they model it as you know the firm's marginal cost. I don't personally think that's very realistic because it ignores the time component. Because what what entrepreneurs do, what businesses do, is they produce. A bunch of stuff at time zero, and right. then it's available for sale in time one. In that regard, supplies would always be um, essentially vertical in the short run. But they're because there's only X amount available at that future point, point in time. The uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to dig this out. I'm gonna show it to you next time I see it. Uh, Milton Friedman's manuscript on the theory of price. You never yeah. saw so much crap on every graph in the world, but I don't know. How <laughs> But it was, but it it all has to do with. I mean, like I'm going to say something that's on a, on a on a day-to-day basis. This being Tuesday, it's very inelastic. If you're a diabetic and you need insulin, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, I mean today. No I mean today, you just need it. But now, yeah. If all of a sudden, the insulin people raise the price by 400 percent today, you you pretty much got it stuck where the sun don't shine. I'm not talking about a pin, a needle either. Uh, but that doesn't mean. That there won't be a new a new supplier a year or two from now or yeah. something, so it, that it, it can be it can be short term totally inelastic, yeah. but longer term. Yeah, in the long yeah. in the long run, if there's no government protections for a monopoly that has such a drug, yeah, then there'll be substitutes, right? You know, like pay, or yeah. or or people or people will change their behavior because we're not. Homogeneous globules, right? We're not yeah. just a consumer like Gaines and Envisionist. We're people. So if if the insulin drug is four hundred percent more and there's no substitute, it might trigger people to live a healthier life. Over well, the but if you get if you really need the insulin, it probably doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For the person who yeah. needs it, yeah. But for the people who are at risk, they might decide to like change their diets. Right. So they might need it. Not they won't need it in the future if they do that. Yeah, that's that's the party line anyway. We hope yeah. we hope that that's the case. But yeah, some yeah. have you ever have you ever seen a more fascinating time to teach economics? I mean, I'd almost a lot. Well, you know, actually, there was a lot going on when I when I was in in uh, grad school, you know, because a lot of it had to do with uh, when, when they broke up, like the well broke up uh, the Chicago Board Options Exchange was a was a tremendous difference in structure than the. New York Stock Exchange, yeah. in terms, and but when you you no longer had monopolies and airlines, of course they all went back together and became a cartel. But you didn't have uh, uh, railroads, you didn't have uh, trucking companies could take stuff wherever they felt like. Where before you couldn't. It was a really exciting time in terms of trying to figure out the differences between a a uh, well they were cartels with prices being uh, 
set by the government uh, versus essentially free competition. But then they did, even the uh, telephone was broken up. Remember? Uh, yeah. And uh, but there, but there was no no stipulation that you couldn't and when, and when, buy them all when back that telephone, And when that telephone monopoly was broken up, man, you had incredible, incredible innovation. For like yeah. 80 years, the telephone didn't change. Then all of a sudden, they break it up. Here comes cellular. I mean, we start with cellular phones in the in the show in the movie uh, Wall Street, where it's like, you know, a foot and a half tall with an eight foot antenna, and he's walking on the beach, right? To like incredible quality, incredible uh, low prices for the quality, the the things that you can do with a smartphone. The smartphone is about the best bargain ever offered to human beings because it does so many different things. It does things that we don't need other products for that we used to have a, the need, a need for. So you, you, you break that monopoly and you get all kinds of innovation and quality improvements. Uh, and that's, that's the solution. And it is a great time to teach economics because everything, you know, every uh, policy that you talk about in microeconomics, man, the government is trying it. Yeah. And we have all these articles on mainstream media or on Fox or on on CNN. You have all these articles out there that are talking about a shortage in prescription drugs because of the price controls that were put in place early in the year. So you have all kinds of real-world application of what not to do in economics. That's a lot of fun. Well, it's a lot of that has to do with, I mean, it, it depends on, on, where you, on where you look. If you put a, a price control in there, uh, after you let combinations happen, yeah, yeah. you're going to cause a shortage. But if yeah. if you wouldn't let the combinations yeah, yeah, happen depends, in the first yeah. place, I mean, it depends it, on if the shortage. Yeah. yeah, it depends on if the price control is binding or not, right? So that that gives us an opportunity to go. Well, why isn't there a shortage here and there's a shortage there? Well, this one's binding, this one's not binding, perhaps, right? Well, I, I remember the uh, oh god, I want to show my age here, but I remember Nixon's wage price controls mm-hmm. and uh. Yeah. Also, remember a comment that even on the podcast I can't repeat from the dean of the business school at the University of Chicago. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe I can. I'll, I'll go halfway, and you can fill in the blanks depending on how how crash you want to be. Uh, my boss at, at Allied Van Lines was uh, was in the executive program, and back in those days, I mean, they'd they'd go to school on Friday, and the next week you go on Saturday, right, to get your executive yeah. MBA. Of course, on Friday night. The faculty and all the guys would head out to martinis and drink martinis all night after. The, so they're in a cab with Walter Fackler, who's the dean of the business school, re- real renowned guy. And of course, he's chomping on some massive cigar in the front seat. And one of the guys goes, "So, Dean Fackler, uh, what do you think of uh, Nixon's wage price controls?" <laughs> and he goes, "Big suck on a cigar." And he goes, "Boys, let me tell you, wage price controls did to the economy what pantyhose did to fill in the blank." <laughs> so he, so he was he was that keen on <laughs> at wage at wage price controls, shall we say? And, uh, well, you know that that the the, the uh, price controls on gasoline and the rationing that was going on that comes up in my classes all the time. I show videos of that. Um, I, I was like, well, Nixon, you know, he's Republican, and everything's Republicans are for the free market. I'm like, ah, this is a pretty good example of him not being for the free market. Well, it was also if if you I don't even I'm sure with the wonders of the internet, you would think that if somebody came out with wage price controls, you know, looking back on it or looking forward, you would say, Hal Snar, chief economist of the uh, of the U.S., would say, uh, 
from this day forward, you can't raise wages and you can't raise prices. But it wasn't like that. The thing was like 90 bazillion pages. And yeah. Of course, if the price came to you higher, then you got a chance to pass it on. You just couldn't add a bigger margin on your... It, the thing was so complex that by the end of the day, yeah. nobody knew... Nobody ever got prosecuted that I know of. I mean, so... I yeah. don't know if there's any difference, really, other than... I mean, it, it was like the uh, Trump tariff thing. Yeah. I mean, how complicated was that? Yeah. I mean, it was... Well, a- I, think, I think what happens is maybe the big corporations, they have the team of lawyers that can go through it and say, hey, um, we can do this. Um, it's not a big deal. But the little mom-pa stores, maybe they're, like, afraid. So maybe for a while, they, like, try to not raise prices because they're afraid that... Uh, government will come after them. So there's also an information issue there, too. Well, you had to be right? able to prove Where, that if, if you raise the price of lettuce from 25 yeah. cents to 29 and somebody called you on it, this is the, the baseline of the thing, from what I recall, you had, you had to be able to prove, well, look, I was paying 20 cents to buy it, now I'm paying 24, so I got a, up at the four at least that, that came to me, and then the next person, then he would have to prove, well, I got it from the farmer at this. and the, You know, it was a whole... So yeah. it basically... Creates all kind of inefficiencies. It was a big goat law. Yeah, it was a kind of a goat bleep. I mean, it was just you know, it, yeah. but it, I don't know if it. But the big items like the gasoline and stuff, um, yeah. it, it caused shortages. I mean, there were people who were waiting in line, you know, to get gas, and they had three quarters of a tank. Yeah, I mean, just because if you saw if you had an open station, you just you pulled in and filled up. Yeah, you pulled in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, you know, in New York State, I was I was fascinated with New York State because you know we moved here uh, last September. And they're, they have these anti-gouging laws, which are similar to the, what you're describing. So I found that I found that pretty interesting. Everybody's got those uh, on the books. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in theory, I'll, I'll bet it's against. I use the term dull law, Maddie. Uh, if if you know if if Maddie and I have an umbrella stand on Van Buren, and we're charging twenty bucks an umbrella, and all of a sudden a downpour happens and we make it forty bucks, I'll, I'll bet there's a law against that. I don't know when it's, when it's enforced or who the hell ever would even know about it, but I'm, I'm guessing there's something in place somewhere written down in our gazillion laws that says you can't do that. Yeah. I well, there was a – I don't know if you remember the hurricane that went through North Carolina. This came up when I was teaching down there. A hurricane goes through North Carolina, and it wipes out Raleigh for a week. And um, so there's no power. Nobody has any gasoline. And this guy, I think he rents like a truck, and he fills his truck up in Charlotte with gasoline, and he drives it to Raleigh and he sells it for like ten bucks a gallon. Well, people who need gasoline uh, because they need to get to and from work or they want to get out of Dodge, they show up and buy gasoline from ten dollars a gallon. Now they're probably complaining they're paying ten dollars a gallon, but what's the alternative? Zero. And yeah. I think the state of North Carolina actually persecuted him, prosecuted him. Both. Yeah. Persecuted and prosecuted. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't a slip, by the way. That was not a slip. A, a Freudian. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you do wonder when, especially in Chicago, like if there's a, if there's a fire at, or some crap that happens at one of the few refineries that make the Chicago blend, you do wonder when you see the trucks driving through from the Whiting plant to Wisconsin and can't, can't sell it here. They got to go through to Wisconsin. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know they're selling it up there for a dollar cheaper than they are here. You know they'd love to stop. You know? Oh yeah, you would. Yeah, that's the great thing about markets, though. When I, when I talk about the, ga- the gasoline market, it's fascinating to talk about because what I'll talk about is the hurricane coming through and the oil refineries get shut down and 
there's no electricity in the style, then you can't pump, so you can't pump the gasoline out of the tanks that are in the ground at a gas station. Um, so the price goes up, and maybe maybe the price is four fifty in the south, and it's two fifty in the in the west or in the northeast. What do markets do? If the prices stay that that uh, if that difference remains there for too long, suppliers are go. Why am I selling gasoline yeah. in the west or New York? I'll send it to the the south, and then the prices equate, and everybody in the economy shares uh, in the devastation. Right? We share in the in that 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 cost. Right? By the price equalizing. Well, when government says boom, you can't sell it at pre hurricane at higher levels than pre hurricane prices. Boom! All of a sudden, you got devastation. People yeah. can't get gasoline, right? And they're they're stuck. And then that's when people do like that guy in in Charlotte. He buys a truck and he goes out and he, and then the government prosecutes him, right? Well, in, in theory, so that's why I say markets are moral. Well, yeah, they also don't the the whole idea. Of, I mean, people criticize the cannabis all the time, and I see them on TV, and I do the same thing. But uh, it, it's it, it, the science is as as a science. It's fascinating, you know. As a predictor, you say, "All right, these economists can't predict the GDP next year." Well, well no, I nobody say, can. Well, I say we. I don't include myself in there because I'm not a degreed economist. But yeah, we we can't. But what we can do is say, "Well, if this happens, it's a behavioral science. This is how people yeah. are going to react and how something." Yeah. I mean, in theory, if if all of a sudden there's a hurricane that hits Chicago, it'll be a long hurricane, uh, and gasoline went to Eight bucks. In theory, the, it's it's a, in economics. Economics is the science of scarcity, basically. How to apportion yeah. scarcity. Yeah. So you would think that the only people paying fifteen bucks a gallon are people, say like me, that have no way to get to do the show in the morning other than to drive in. Okay, but it also means that the minute I go home, I'm not taking the car out. I mean, if I'm I'm walking to get a burger, I'm not. I'm not yeah. You know, so. I'm, I'm, every person is going to say, "Okay, at ten bucks, I'm going to I'm going to use four gallons a week, not my usual fifteen. You know, so people can can ration themselves, right? Oh, and, they can, yeah, and they do, yeah, and they do. And when, uh, I mean, I when, know, when gas prices were really high back in the early two thousands, when Bush was tapping or filling, I think he was filling the Strategic Petroleum Reserve when crude prices were like I don't know over hundred a barrel. I don't know why he was doing that. But he was. Because his brains were in the oil business. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I was telling my students, uh, are gas prices too high? And they go, yeah. And I go, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, when you go to McDonald's, do you park your car and walk inside to get your uh, meal? Or do you wait in the line that loops around at lunchtime? And they go, we wait around. We wait in line and that loops around the, the McDonald's. Yeah. I go, well, then gas prices aren't too high. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, it's exactly right. And, and it's, it's funny how people have... It, a lot of it is information. I mean, it's like uh, you used to have a term on the, in the, in the uh, trading floor about information. You know, you, you can't take a drink from a fire hydrant. You know, there's, there's too much coming at you. But I, when people when people bitch about gas prices, you know, because they went up here in Chicago a while ago, uh, people bitch about gas prices. I never hear anybody, library, coffee shop, saloon, whatever it is, say, hey, this, this bleeping... Pritzker, we're up to ninety-two cents a gallon in taxes. Nobody, I mean, our Bob is—I just gave it. What was it maybe two two fifty-two? And, and and there's gas here that's everywhere is four fifty-two, and some are, some's higher than that. 
Well, I'm gonna. I remember the spread between our Bob and what you paid being a dollar ten. Now it's like two bucks. You know, where 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 did that all come from? Well, ninety two cents of it's tax. And yeah, nobody. And the government has the government has something really nice. They kind of embedded in there, right? It's it's already priced into the pump, so you see the price. And if the prices go up, government uh, has tricked people into thinking, oh, it's the evil gasoline companies, the, yeah, oh yeah. the suppliers, yeah. or, or the guy that's selling it, the, the little mom-and-pop gas station owner. They're gouging us. But the the gas station owner is only getting probably pennies yeah. on a gallon. Yeah, if you, if Whereas you the government's a... getting 90, depending, depending on the state. I think Utah, you're... You're paying sixty, seventy cents a gallon. If they're not buying, the if they're not selling cigarettes and beer and and pop and candy bars. They're they're not making any money. Yeah, exactly. Yep, and that's why in North Carolina, when hurricanes come through, our former chair of our uh, economics department, he was a neighbor to a guy that owned a gas station in Greensboro, and I bring this up all the time uh, in my econ classes about how you know mom and pop uh, gas station owners operate. He was telling me that when there's a hurricane coming through, everybody wants to go and get the gas at a low price. So they bring in their, their five-gallon jugs, right, those oh, red yeah. jugs, and they're filling them up. What this guy does is he hits the you know, plus five cents button on his digital sign. He keeps hitting it like every 15 minutes or so until he has normal consumer traffic, normal gasoline traffic. Because if he doesn't, he's going to run out of gasoline – and then nobody is going to come into a store to buy beer, right? Oh, yeah. soda or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. And he, uh, it is uh, at least the good news is you don't have to have a guy like Thomas running down a ladder anymore. You can do it digitally. No, no, he just pushes the button. I like it better when a guy to go up the ladder. Let's be futures up five days. If futures up fifty six, be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading options ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. 
I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Ropex, Jackson Jacks. I'm Tamal Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures up 650. We said the durable goods numbers came in at positive 1.7 versus expected minus 0.1, so we popped a little bit on that number, just a little bit. NASDAQ Futures up 63. Dow Futures are down uh, 70. One of the reasons for that is uh, Walgreens, which is down over 8%, uh, citing a smaller consumer demand. Uh, I don't know. They, so that's probably not good news. Plus, a lot of it is uh, the COVID stuff is uh, running off, not as many injections, not as many uh, uh, tests they're selling, obviously. Well, I think pretty obviously. U.S. yesterday, Dow was down 12, S&P down 19, NASDAQ down 156. So big move in the NASDAQ, over 1%. Over in Europe, we've got, these guys were almost flat a little bit ago, but now now they're not. The DAX down 44.3%, FTSE down 17.3%, CAC around down 18.3%. They were they were flat an hour ago, uh, but they moved to the downside here at least a little bit. Uh, Nikkei down 160.5%. Big bounce in the Hang Seng after, after having a five-day losing streak. They're up 354, 1.9% today, uh, but they've been down. But they're back up over 19,000, 19,148. Shanghai up 38, 1.2%. They were down a bunch yesterday as well, so they bounced back. Bonds, 10-year unchanged, 3.73. The Bund uh, up one basis point, 2.31. Japan up two basis points, 0.38. We've got oil. Cannot get out of its own way. We busted back up over 70 on uh, the, the Russian thing, and all of a sudden it's back down to 68.30, down another dollar seven, 1.54. As soon as that thing rallies at all, there's like a club on it. It's like whack a mole. Brent down 113, 73.05. Natural gas down two cents, 277. Our Bob down two cents, 251. So what I'm saying is we got a two dollar premium on gas here at least in most places. Uh, gold. Up four bucks, 0.2%, 1937, but it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Silver up 11 cents, uh, that's 0.5% to 2294. Copper down a penny, 377. We've got Bitcoin, uh, well, crypto Bitcoin up 449, 30,675. We have the US dollar uh, down a little bit against the pound. The pound's up to 1096. And, uh, I'm sorry, the euro up to 1096, the pound up to 127.3. And here you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We have a car fire now on the uh, southbound Stevenson. So that's the outbound I-55 that's blocking the right lane at South Damon Avenue. Uh, so you'll want to... Uh, uh You'll be prepared to slow down as you navigate around that uh, if you're heading outbound on the Stevenson. That's our only issue on any of the expressways. Traffic building steadily as uh, from O'Hare into downtown is over an hour uh, due to the road construction, but no accidents to report. Eden's still looking good. Heavy traffic on I-290 and on uh, the uh, Stevenson in both directions. Same for the Dan Ryan I-57 and the Bishop Ford, uh, but no accidents on those, just the car fire on the outbound Stevenson. Only other crash in the area is out in the western suburbs. Route 59 southbound at North Aurora Road. Uh, there's a crash blocking the right lane. Weather today, uh, cloudy and foggy early, uh, and then uh, we'll see some sunshine this afternoon. Partly cloudy skies with a high of 71. Right now it's overcast and 66 degrees downtown. 
For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine and hot today. A uh, high of 108. Right now it's clear and 83. In sports, White Sox lost to the Angels last night uh, down in uh, Anaheim. 2-1 to one was the final in that one. Cubs were off. They'll host the Phillies tonight at Wrigley. That's a 7.05 first pitch. They're, in, they're here. I thought they were in Philly. Nope. In, oh, uh, at Wrigley. Uh, Diamondbacks were off. They'll host the Rays tonight. And it was LSU beating Florida to win the College Baseball World Series. Chief. This Philly's still doing pretty good, right? Uh, there are a couple games over 500. I think I'd, I'd have to pull them up real quick. They're, they're packing them in out there. They're yeah, good. I saw that... Uh, MLB drew uh, over 35,000 fans uh, across the league for the third straight weekend this past weekend. First, wow. first time in eight years. Uh, they're seeing big rise in attendance with uh, this pitch clock and, and some of the rule changes, I think. You see some of the people, are th- the ladies your age, what do, you, what do they call them, millennials? Um, my age? Yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I think millennials are, are starting 80 or 81. Well, they're very, they're very so upset. So I'm 83, so I'm right there. They're going there to drink, and now the game's over in two and a half hours. It's not enough time. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Uh, um, it's true. I've heard that. They're, the the people that go there to one or two games a year, and they don't really care about the game, they just want to drink and party in the bleachers, they're pissed about the pitch clock. <laughs> they like the four-hour game. They don't like... They like four hours in the sun. Yeah, <laughs> they, stop drink, they stop serving beer in the seventh inning. Well, if that's an hour and a half after you get there, <laughs> that's not great. Well, you know, a lot of teams have... have Bleep can that they're they're selling like eight and a half, the eighth inning. Now, oh really? Right? Yeah. Some teams have have gone later because yeah, it's like an hour and a half to the seventh inning. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So hell, a uh, couple of uh, you got to you got to you got to settle a uh, a debate here since you are the economics professor and Carl and I argue economics all the time, but you're the professor. Uh, the phenomenon that we both seem to agree upon here, and we we've, we've talked about it earlier in the show with the. The smaller restaurants and the family kind of places, they're trying to keep prices down, acting differently in some ways than some of the ones who are at the top of the chain. Um, I, I am very concerned with the inflation part thing that's happened. I mean, I, I think Carl and I both agree that the 35%, 40% money supply bubble you shoved into the place, they shoved into the place for two and a half years, has caused somewhere, depending on what it is, Inflation to be thirty, forty percent somewhere. I mean, it, pretty much everywhere. If you look at standard stuff, but it, I mean, obviously, some prices have come back down, some haven't, some have gone up higher than that, things like that. And but right now, I think that because they've cut back on the expansion of the money supply, there's there's no quote, there's very little quote inflation right now in the sense to drive to, to drive prices higher. So the argument we're having is I think it's incredibly different than the Volcker era, where the Volcker era that I recall, because I was here and used to do stuff there, uh, was a, a, a long period of time where your money supply was going up 10 11%, and your inflation was just going right with it, and people weren't lying about it. I mean, they actually showed it in the CPI. So Volcker's job was to cut that that increase back down to something normal and get rid of the rate of inflation. And, I, and he did it, I would probably have done it slightly differently, but he did it successfully over a period of time, caused a recession, which we're going to recession anyway, but so I don't know if he caused it. But that, that, but right now, I don't think that it's a whole different program in a lot of ways, in my opinion. And, uh, and again, Carl's is, is different than this. And I also think that some of the stuff right now that you've talked about, the taxation, 
your your stuff coming through your monopolies like your electric companies, your gas companies, that all this stuff has become now part of you can you can drag as much money as you want out of the economy, but that stuff's not going back down. And I, and I think that's more prevalent than during the early eighties. So Carl's position is that the Fed really has to attack the price bubble and cut back on the excesses in the money supply and actually wring out a significant percentage of that price-level bubble that we all seem to see because the general population can't afford it and they're damn near revolting in some areas because of it or, or will. I don't know that pulling back and trying to retrace your steps doesn't cause more damage uh, because I don't see my electric bill or cable bill or any of that crap going down no matter what they do. So it, to the point where I think you're just buried. I don't see your your taxes going down. I don't see the price of cars going down. Maybe a little bit, but I don't. I I don't think the Fed can essentially retrace their steps here. And Carl's convinced they absolutely have to. So you're the referee. Where do you? Where's your vote? Well, the Fed has got things so messed up that um, I'm actually writing an article about whether or not the Fed has actually been restrictive in the last couple of years. No, they haven't. It, has, my point. It, ha- it has raised interest rates and people consider that restrictive. But if you look at all the money lending that's going on, um, I don't know if they have been very restrictive. Because I mean, we're taught that when banks lend more money, they create more money. Right. 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 So I'm, I'm not too sure they've been restrictive because I think we're stuck in this paradigm where the Fed does an, op- an open market purchase that purchases bonds from banks to lower interest rates. And then it sells those bonds to raise, uh, right. it sells them to raise interest rates, right? Today, what the Fed does, it just issues a dictate. It has so much M0, I think you call it M0, I call it reserves, right? Uh, excess reserves. M0, the Fed's definition that I got from somebody at the Fed, their definition of M0 is is money kicked back to the Fed at night on deposit. That's their definition yeah. of M0. The way I think I've I read where M zero is the same as like reserves. Yeah, reserves pretty much the same as reserves. Yeah. Remember when they were and, pouring so much money in the system that the system couldn't even yeah. absorb it, and and there was yeah. no banks that was uh, banks were so flush with money they were kicking it back to the Fed overnight and making it making one and a half percent interest yeah. on it. That that's their yeah. definition. They, they of want M0. to hold they want to hold reserves. Yeah, that's their definition. Interest yeah. on reserves. That's their yeah. definition of M zero. So, that M zero to me is like unemployed labor. You have this binding price floor on reserves, the the, the interest on re- reserves rate, which creates this massive pile of reserves in the, in the banking system. So now the Fed, all they have to do is to raise interest rates. They don't have to buy or sell anything. They can just issue a dictate. Hey, we're gonna we're now gonna pay five point five percent overnight. Yeah. Right, and that will do what? Well, people, banks will want to hold reserves in the banking system. Well, they've totally right? destroyed the Fed funds rate because there's so much yeah. out there. Banks don't borrow from each other, at least not yeah. like they used to. Yeah. So that that the federal funds rate is like the market rate. It's like the, the market wage. And interest on reserves is like the minimum wage. And when you raise it, when it's binding, and, I, and it's binding now because we have all these excess reserves, which are now called reserves, uh, when you raise it, you just get more of those unemployed reserves. I, I prefer the term unemployed reserves. And so, but I think what's happening is if big institutional investors and buyers or you know, sellers or real estate moguls, if they want to buy stuff, they can still 
uh, get loans oh, yeah. Yeah. from banks, right? Whereas everybody else, I think we're having a difficult time trying to get loans, or do or we don't really want to take them out because the interest rate's so high, right? So I think that they've created a system that is really, really messed up. And I think the only thing that can save us is if we just tell the Fed, look, guys, you've really messed this whole thing up, and the top 1% are benefiting dramatically from this, much more than everybody else. What makes you, you really think that they? Thing up. What makes you think that they messed it up and then just didn't plan it that way? Well, yeah, I mean, but I think what you have to do is to avoid being called a conspiracy theorist. You have to just say, "Well, you're well-intentioned." Well, how, how do you when, when, mess things up? Well, I'm, I'm older than you and maybe grumpier. Uh, how do you how do you <laughs> how do you avoid being called a conspiracy nut job? And yet. When you've seen this happen probably four or five times in your lifetime, and every single time one group wins and the other group loses, yeah, that you don't sit there and say these guys couldn't—they couldn't have been well-intentioned, but just plain by the luck of the draw, wrong five times. Yeah, it, there has—I mean, the Resolution Trust just didn't land the way it did without. Okay, I'll give you one. All right, but then when 2000, 2007 happened and the same people come out winners, I don't know that I give you two. I'm not so sure this inflation thing here. I give you three on the COVID. I'm not going to give you five. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, I, does that make me an old grumpy, you know, cons- conspiracy theorist? Maybe, but I sort of can back it up. <laughs> uh, with, yeah. You know, I, I mean, was the resolution trust fair? No, the guys at the time thought. We just had to get rid of this crap. This was the best way to do it. We had a anybody who was willing to take the stuff. We got it to them as best we could, and you know what? It just it's just the way it worked out. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Well, now you know. Fast forward another twenty years, and it happens again. Then another twenty years, and it happens again. And you go, I don't know about this. You know, we're just saying. Well, I'm telling you right now, what the Fed is doing, I don't know if it's intentional or not. And but you look at the number of branches versus the number of banks in the U.S. Branches are exploding, and number of banks is imploding. Right. Oh yeah. They're the opposite. So you have incredible, incredible consolidation in the banking industry. And I've been, I, I've been tweeting uh, percent changes from the peak. The peak of banks generally was about the early 1980s to today. And you have, in terms of just banks, you have like 80 percent. Drops in the number of banks since the, Hell, the how, peak uh, in the 1980s. I have to ask you, as a guy who's lived in Carolina, Utah, and uh, on a submarine in New York, in Illinois, the one thing that I mean, Maddie opined on this. Illinois, there's all there's all kinds of banks here. I mean, is that is that because Illinois was the last state to allow branch banking? I mean, when I'm going to drive off to, to the dentist this morning, I'll bet I go buy 25 banks. You know, and it's it's just it's just not. I mean, obviously your city has their branches downtown and people, but neighborhood. You don't. It's there's still all kinds of them here. Is it is it not that way in Utah? Is it not that way in other places? And we've lost some. We've lost some. There's been combination. Yeah, if you look at Illinois, if you look at this thing that the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation calls commercial institutions structure. Yeah. They had a 72% drop in the number of banks from uh, the peak of 
the early 80s to today. I, I don't. I don't. At, I, at the same time, they had a 509 percent increase in the number of branches. I, 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 I know you're right. I, I'm just. I'm just saying. How how much different is it? I'm asking the question. How much different is it? Another place. I know two places on the south side when I grew up. In fact, I got my first car loan at Evergreen, First National Bank, Evergreen Park. Everybody went there for their bank, right? Big, nice building, blah blah blah. Huge vault in the basement. You went there, and uh, and the and the guys, uh, you know, whatever you did. That's where my first checking account was. And if you were in Beverly, you went to Beverly Bank. All right. So down the road, talk about a weird story. Uh, first National Bank gets bought by uh, Old Kent. I think it was Old Kent. And the second biggest shareholder, the biggest shareholder was uh, you've been in Chicago enough. To, was the biggest shareholder was Ozinga, the guys that have the concrete company, in a big uh, red and white striped trucks. I'm yeah. sure you've seen them here. So he's the number one shareholder. And the second biggest one was the guy who owned Bleaker's Bowling Alley. Well, the guy gets all his dough that he never thought he was going to get, and the dude has a grabber and dies the next day. Hmm. Anyway, so but now that bank in Beverly, they Beverly Bank got taken over by some bank and it was some lime green color place well, in both cases the people that worked there went basically a half a mile to the west bought a storefront or rented a storefront and opened up another bank Beverly Bank they didn't, they didn't even they didn't even take the name the idiots had bought it so these guys yeah. opened up Beverly Bank right next to the train station within two years they built a big building First National Bank Evergreen Park got bought by Old Kent they got a spot on 95th Street. My mother took all her accounts. Those are my people. Went down there. They were up and going in, in three months. And now they're, they're nice little regional banks. And now Old Kent got bought by uh, Fifth Third. And now the entire place is leveled. They, 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 they busted up the building. They, they took down the, the drive throughs It's all just leveled. It's not even there anymore. And yet First National Bank name is down the block with a bunch of people. I mean, that's Illinois banking. I don't think it's like that anywhere else in the country, is it? I don't think it is, what the numbers are telling me. Yeah. Well, Illinois, uh, they track pretty close to the federal trend. I think okay. of, of, of the, 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 when I look at the state-level data, they're tracking pretty close to what's happening nationally. Okay. Some states have lots of variation. Uh, around uh, over time, but I'm gonna say you but Illinois not, tends to track pretty close. You could to not have a. Trend. I know I'm, I'm losing track of years here, but I'm gonna say you could not have a branch in Illinois. Maddie, do me a favor. Google when did branch banking uh, uh, get passed in Illinois? I'm gonna say it's not been 20 years, 25. You couldn't have a branch. First National Bank in a massive building downtown. Wow. That was it. They couldn't have a branch. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, then, well, it, that's why we got a bunch of banks, I guess. You know, the funny thing is... 1993. Really? 1993, 30 so years. 30 years. Yeah. But I got to be, we, we absolutely were the last state. Let me look at Illinois real quick. Hey, while, while you're I looking got, at that, I got another... Yeah. Uh, your, your, our buddy, Joe Biden, um, is going to have a big uh, talk, is it tomorrow night or something? Major speech on Wednesday. He's going to explain uh, Bidenomics. Is that, I mean, the the deal is it's characterized by relief measures and vaccination efforts to address COVID nineteen pandemic investments in infrastructure, strengthening the safety net, funded by tax increases on higher income individuals and corporations. I don't see that as a as a, a any kind of a policy that makes any kind of sense whatsoever. Do you? Yeah. And it, it makes. I don't. I don't think the tax increases are going to anywhere near come come to the enough money that they're talking about if they get any through. And this investment in infrastructure, 
they keep thinking they're getting all this money back for that. I don't I don't know what they are. That uh, Illinois was just talking today about. May I just see a thing about the railroads? They increased the 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 speed of the train from Chicago to St. Louis from ninety miles an hour to one hundred and ten. Now, Ooh. now as uh, as somebody who worked for a railroad company, these cars have been one hundred and twenty mile an hour cars since I was making those. I was making. I was working there at the time they were being made at Pullman in 1977. So the cars have never gone 120 miles an hour, even though they were designed to do that. The guys at Pullman, it, they, there's a there's a big test track out at Pueblo, Colorado. I don't know if you knew that or not. You know, uh, the guys said the cars were going 110 miles an hour in Colorado and your coffee wouldn't even move. That's how, that's how good the cars were. It's all it's all in roadbeds, and it's all in... It's all in... Uh, you're not going to run a car, a train, 110 miles an hour across a, uh, a thing with Matty Weber sitting there by the uh, crossing gate with his car and his kid on a bike. That's not going to happen. You can't have... You have to have segregated rail for that with no no crossings above, uh, going over the tracks, and which no, none of the stuff here is except in a few spots. So, I mean, it's it's a real big investment. And the uh, question is, what do you get for it? They had, a, they had streamliners in the 30s, hell, that, were, that did 110 miles an hour. Which uh, you know was amazing. You need class seven rail. Most of the rail now is class five. It's more than anybody needs to know. But uh, I don't know that the difference. I'd rather see the entire line at ninety miles an hour than one piece of it at one ten. Just to, uh, it's all about you know time from city center to city center. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. I know, but do you think these investments that are, are going to bring back any of the return they think they're going to get? I don't think so. I mean, whenever government, uh, that's why I'm not too worried about the Chinese uh, Communist Party. Whenever government is spending somebody else's money, they don't do a very good job of spending it because it's somebody else's money. If it's your own money, then you you, you make better, you make different decisions, right? But if it's somebody else's money, you just throw stuff at at political donors. Well, if you company, or, if you or if you own stock and you throw money at it, if you got your your thumb in the pie. We think it's a great way to spend it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, if you go back to Solyndra, I think everybody in government kind of knew that Solyndra was going to go bankrupt in 18 months. Yeah. They threw out a half a billion dollar loan at it. It had all kinds of cronyism on the board. I think politicians' nephews or sons or daughters or whatever were on that board, and they gave it this half a billion dollar guaranteed loan. And what? Guess what happened? Eighteen months later, the thing went bankrupt, just as they predicted. And the FBI went into Slender and confiscated all the, the the records. And there's been no investigation. Those records are probably still sitting in the basement of the Hoover Building. All right. Why doesn't uh, Maddie Weber have us involved in one of these things with our finger in the pie? Then we could say it's a good idea to, as well. Yeah. We well, by the time the we fi- by the time we find out about it, uh, all the Slices have been distributed. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, he he could have been a community organizer and gotten money that way, and we could have been part of that. <laughs> we're too late to the game. We're right? too we're too late to the game. <laughs> we, we don't we don't have the in, we don't have the insider information. Um, they do, right? They it, have the insider. It is stunning. It's stunning how many people in the in the middle are making money on all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, well you got to track oh, the- where all the news cameras are, and you got to be there. Um, you know, that's not easy to do. You have to understand, you know, the angle so you can get on camera anytime there's anything within a certain mile radius of your your neighborhood, right? Well, we could do that. I mean, that's a that's a lot of work. We have to have some people do that for us. Yeah. 
Get a peeps. I just tweeted. I just tweeted the branches versus the banks in Illinois. Yeah. Well, I got to uh, believe the amount of banks is going down. I just, there were there were so yeah. many of them. Plus, yeah. the thing of it is, Hal. I mean, I noticed it in in my business. It's not it's not so much the competition of how many firms there are. It's 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 barriers to entry. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, when we started PTI Securities in 1991, it took two or three of us from the trading floor. We took our tests, you know, and all of a sudden we had a firm. You know, we need a phone system and stuff. I don't see how anybody starts a firm like that now. There's the, the barriers to entry have, have yeah. grown to such a huge extent. I mean, right now, I think in Illinois, I'm I'm going to say, uh, I had a long conversation with somebody about this at the Sox game one night. Some guy was sitting next to me just out of luck. I'm going to say 15 years ago, with a million and a half dollars, you and I could have started a bank, which which isn't a lot of dough to start a bank. I'm going to yeah. say now we could probably still do it with two and a half to three on renting a storefront and so forth, and you hire a few people that know what they're doing, not, not us. I don't know how to run a bank. I'm going to say we could start a bank. Now, we're not going to have the money we take in. We're just going to loan out to other banks or to government or something. So if we're paying 3%, you know, we're going to try and find a place where we're making 35 or 4 When there's no, It's going to be a long time before we have a loan department where we actually start giving. But after a while, we'll, we'll give out some auto loans to people in the neighborhood. We'll give out some loans to the, the plumbing company in the neighborhood or the electricians, and, or we'll give out some receivable loans. We'll start small. We could do that. You don't need that much. I mean, it, but, but as, as yeah, long but as the, long the as problem people... with that, go ahead. The problem with that, though, is uh, city planners they could adopt some policy that causes severe recession within that city, and then you're you're bankrupt. Well, sure. Right? So you're kind of at the, you're at the you're at the whim of the policymakers. That's why you want to have, you know, that, that's why it's advantageous to have branches or or banks, whatever you want to call them, in different locations. So you, I mean. I, I can see. I mean, government right now is telling in in New York City, they're telling the the, the 120 year old coal fire pizza ovens, you know, the pizza places that have the coal fire ovens or the the firewood ovens that they got to be reduce their carbon footprint by 75 percent. Now, how is Johns and Bleecker Street going to freaking do that? I mean, their pizza is awesome because it's a 100 year old coal fire. Pizza like I How said, reduce their carbon footprint. Like I, I said, the, the the winner is going to be the new pizza place down the block, and I oh, I, yeah, ref- exactly, I, yeah. I refuse to believe that that's just random. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. I'm getting I'm getting too too uh, shall we say skewed in my thought process to think that's just random because every time I do something like this, there's winners and losers. Oh yeah, yep. I mean, uh, markets markets create winners. Yeah, volatile exchanges between buyers and sellers create winners, and we all uh, we all win. The, the more exchanges that occur, we all win. So the way we fix it, we don't. The Fed is not going to fix it. The no. Fed's either going to cause a recession or it's going to cause more inflation. That's what the Fed's going to do with it. As messed up as it is right now, the Fed's either going to cause a severe recession or more inflation. That's all it can do. So the way we have to fix it is we have to tell the Fed, look, you're going to grow the money supply at two percent. That's that's all you're going to do. That's all you're, you're going to do. I would agree that's with it. that. By the way, and uh, then we got to set the rest of the economy free. The dear departed Milton Friedman would, uh, would would agree with you as well. Hal, take care of yourself. SP Futures up 6. NASDAQ Futures up 54. Uh, Kenny's still talking about, and some, some of the listeners, about a little uh, New York Stock Exchange tour and stuff uh, come September, October. I'm uh, in. You want to be a part here. of that. All right, bud. We'll, yeah. we'll talk. We'll be, right back. we'll be right back tomorrow morning, Stocks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. 
don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.